Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. The reason we do this is because uh, I realize that, that many of us have lost hope in those two areas of your life. In life and our money, we, we, we feel hopeless. In fact, I'd like to say this about Christians. I, I don't think that Christians have a generosity problem. I don't think, I think, I think once you've received God's grace, you, you, you're so excited about that, you're ready to give and to freely give of all that you have because of how much God has freely given to you. I don't think we have a generosity problem. I think we have a strapped problem. I think so many of us have a desire to give or to be generous with our time, to be generous with our treasure and our talents, but we've got bills to pay, or we, we've got to spend our time here. I owe, I owe, it's off to work I go. I'll let that sink in for a minute. And so so I, I think Christians, they have the right heart. They want to be generous. They want to give, but they've, they've participated in life and their finances the way that the world has led, and so we're strapped. We're, we're literally bound and can't do all that's in our heart because we owe. Because we've not approached our finances and our life in God's way. And so what I want to do through this series is, is offer you a way out, is offer you help and encouragement in the areas of life and money that have become hopeless for you. In fact, 1 Timothy 6 says this, people who want to get rich, in other words, people who have a wrong perspective or bad results as it relates to money and life. These are people who want to get rich, it, it messes with them. It messes with them, and so they, they fall into temptation and a trap. It's the, you know, their heart's good, but they're just in a bad place, and, and they fall into temptation and a trap, and then they, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Now, as your pastor, I look at that list, and I go, I don't want that for anybody. I don't want you in ruin. I don't want you in temptation or a trap. I don't want you in destruction. In fact, my job is to help you discover how to get all that stuff off of you. That, that, that's what I want to help you do. I don't want you to have those things. And so the verse continues and says, for the love of money or having a bad perspective or understanding of it is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, in other words, their whole life is focused on it. It's all they think about. It's what they're pointed towards, getting more. Some people have wandered from the faith because of this very topic, because of their misunderstanding of money. They've wandered from faith in Christ and have pierced themselves with many griefs. People end up walking away from God because of this very topic. In fact, they're, they're pierced. They feel pierced in this life, and many of you feel that way. It's, it's either because somebody did that to, did something to you or because you've done something to yourself. Amen? Anybody know what I'm talking about? We do, we do things to ourselves, right? We get ourselves in messes. We get ourselves in situations. And sometimes it's just life. It's our circumstances. But we feel pierced with many griefs. And so this, this series will be a way out, a way to encourage you and give you practical help in the areas of life and money. And so check out this verse because it really kind of sets us up for proper posturing for this entire series. This was Jesus talking. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now we hear this quoted by pastors and people all the time that say, where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be also, right? But look at that verse. That's not what it says. It's not that where your heart is, your treasure follows. No, it says where your treasure is. In other words, what you're pointed towards, what you think about, what you obsess over, that's where your heart goes. That's why you, when you begin a dating relationship with somebody, let me kind of just break it down for you. You didn't love that person when you first started dating them, did you? But you made choice after choice after choice. You began to spend time with them. You began to spend your treasure on and invest. And then what happened? Your heart followed. This is what happens in every area of your life. Where you point yourself or aim yourself is important. And Jesus is saying, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll get your desires in line with my desires. If you love me, you'll aim your whole life towards 
me and my priorities. And so, so that's what we have to do. We have to get his thoughts in this area because wherever our stuff is, that's where our heart is. So we need to point it towards Christ. So I just want to help you today. That's the goal of this entire series is to help you, not to come down on you, not to, not to make you feel guilty about your decisions or your life. I don't want any of that for you. I just want to give you an opportunity to know you can change it. It can start today. And for me, I, I was, when I was younger, I, I had a lot of help from my parents. You know, my parents taught me the value of money. And some of you say, you know, I didn't have that experience, Aaron. I didn't have my parents talk to me about money, but mine did. Mine taught me about getting a savings account. They, they, my mom took me, and we got a savings account. And then they taught me the value of having a job. That's right. Young people, I got a job when I was 11. And before I was 11, I went door to door and sold little boblets and trinkets. Do you know why? Because I understood the value of having my own money. I didn't go to mom and dad and ask for handouts. I did chores to get, my job, to get money. I went and sold things to get money. I learned the value of how to get money. And I thank God for that. Young people, get a job. <laughs> so I had a job from the time I was 11. I worked for the Columbus Dispatch. My parents said, we'll, we'll watch him. Because you weren't supposed to work for the dispatch until you were 12. So my parents helped me get there, and I, I, I ran that from age 11 till I was 16 when I paid for a car with the money I got from my job. Are you all following the theme here? <laughs> and I've, ha- I've been working ever since, and I understood the value of money. In fact, my parents used to, used to, they would draw a line in the sand. There was things that they had that I didn't have. They wanted to create a little bit of pain in my life so that I understood that I needed to get a job and work and have money, the value of it. They used to have these, anybody remember when, when Diet Coke used to be in glass bottles and you'd buy it by the six pack? Oh, oh, there's some old people in the room. Bless God. That's all right. I'm, I'm right there with you. But my mom and dad used to, used to buy the, the glass bottles of Diet Coke. And here's what they did. I don't even know where this trend came from. But they would take honey roasted peanuts and they would put them down inside the, the glass. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. Look, I'm getting head shaking. Everybody, where did this come from? I don't even know. But man, it was like manna from heaven. Bless the Lord, it was good. And when you take a drink of that Diet Coke, a few of those peanuts would wash in your mouth and you're chewing the Diet Coke and eating a honey roasted peanut at the same time. And, or drinking the Diet Coke and chewing that. Oh, man, bless God. Now, I wasn't allowed to have any of that. My parents said, you want this? You need to go get a job and you need to... Go buy it yourself. That's what they did. That's right. Some of you are looking for my parents. Where are they? Where are their parents? Where is parents? But they taught me the value of that. They'd take me every year to get school clothes. And they said, listen, we're going to spend $200 on you for school, and, the, and you can get whatever you'd like to. We're going to go to J.C. Penney. You know what I mean? It's all that fancy stuff. And we're going to wear the Arizona Jean Company. How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, okay. But my friends all wore Levi's silver tab, and I wanted the silver tab so I could get one pair of jeans instead of five, you know. But, with the, but they, they said, you're not spending any more of this. They put limits on me and constraints. Just because you want something doesn't mean you get to have it. And so I learned, you know, I had to spend my own money if I wanted to wear American Eagle, which I did. <laughs> and so, so my parents taught me. They taught me the value of money. They taught me how to save money. They said, take 10% and put it in a savings account, and then take 10% and tithe and give it to God and let him work with that. And then the rest of it's yours. They taught me that from a young age. This is, this is how my parents taught me about generosity as well. My parents are, are some of the most generous people I know. In fact, I, I walk with them. And when I was younger, they used to do this, this thing. They knew somebody didn't have any groceries. You know what parents would do? They, they were the original ding-dong ditch. You know what I'm saying? You do that as a, as a prank as a kid. You ring somebody's doorbell and you run. My parents would ring somebody's doorbell and run but leave groceries, right? And so they had us do that. They'd roll up on someone's house. They'd say, Aaron, get up out of the car and take the groceries over. And you're going to run up to that house because we didn't want to pull in front of the house. We didn't want them to see us. My parents believed that Bible when it says that don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Because if you do, there's a reward if somebody sees you doing it. But if nobody sees you doing it, your father who sees in secret will reward you. And they said, we want that reward, not what somebody can give us. Right, amen? Come on, somebody. We believe in the Bible. And so... They pull up in our old Cutlass, one of them big boat kind of cars, you know what I'm saying? And they just get out of the car, Aaron, just leave the door open, run up to that, car, that door, drop the groceries, ring the doorbell, and then we'll pull up and you jump in the car and we take off. And that's exactly what we did, my parents. My parents taught me to be generous. 
My parents have been generous with, their, with our home and with our belongings. They've, they've taken in foster kids on an emergency basis. They've, they taught me to give up my bed for somebody who was less fortunate. They taught me to love people in that way, not just with my finances, but with my bedroom, with my space, with my life, with my breakfast table and my favorite breakfast foods. And we had foster kids all growing up. In fact, my, my parents raised so many that, that the last two young ladies that they had, they just said, we, we're not letting these ones go. We're going to adopt them. And I grew up in a house full of boys, and now I have two sisters because of my parents' generosity. In fact, if you see them, just give them a high five and, and tell them well done. I wish they were in here to embarrass the snot out of them, but they're not. They, they go to church here, too, and they serve with me. They've taught me much about it. But despite all the things my parents have taught me, I still made a mess of my life. You know, I walked out when I was in 20, and I, I got credit cards, man. I got myself in some trouble. And then I, got myself, then I got myself into a marriage, and then a year later, we were divorced. And, and then because uh, I got my car repossessed, and I just didn't manage my finances well, and I walked through a bankruptcy. That was, that was so many years ago. And I decided after that, I never wanted to do that again. Some of you are looking down your nose at me. That's all right. You can look down your righteous nose at me because I had to do that. But I said never again. In fact, the thing I decided to do after I went through the bankruptcy, the first job I got was as a financial advisor. And you say, that don't make no sense, Aaron. <laughs> That's the last job you should have had. You're right. But here's the thing. They were, <laughs> they were willing to teach you. They spent months investing in you, educating you, teaching you how to handle money so that you could advise other people. And I was, since they were willing to teach, I was willing to learn so I sat down and I learned as much as I could and I built a financial plan because never again would I go that way. Never again. And I pulled myself up out of that place. And I said, God, I'm never going to go here. In fact, if I find people that are going there, I'll sit with them and I'll help them get out. Because I didn't ever want to go there today. And many of you, you find yourself there. You're in that place. You're pierced with many griefs. You're, you're where I was right now. And you're like, man, how do I get there? It, it, it just takes... It just takes baby steps. There's simple things you can do. In fact, if, you, if I were to sit down with you or a financial assistant or, 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 or uh, advisor would sit down with you, there's a few numbers that they would give you. And many of you say, well, I don't like numbers. But here's the thing. If you don't know what the numbers are, like where you're at right now, you're never going to know when you arrive there. You've got to know numbers. And so here's a few numbers that, that, that they'll give you. I'll run through them quickly going to help you with them. There's five numbers they'll give you. The first number is, is your earning, your income. Because if you don't have any money coming in, there's really nothing to manage and there's nothing to talk about. End of story. Conversation's over. Go get a job and then we'll come back and talk again, right? I mean, that's just the way it goes. So young people, hear me. Quit playing video games and surfing social media until you're 25 years old. You are capable of getting a job now. It's funny, I had a conversation with one of my sons. They're 15. And I'm like, you guys need to go get a job. The other day, I, I, I actually did this. I didn't tell this first service. I don't know why I'm telling it now, but it's free for you anyway. Here you go. Uh, the other day, I, I was leaving the house, and I was like, hey, you guys want to go with me and go do this thing? And they said, nah, we're going to hang out and play video games. I said, no, you're not. I'm taking the router with me. And I put it up underneath my arm, and I walked out that door. And they said, dad, are you serious? But, but we'll miss the Wi-Fi. I said, you know when you won't miss it? When you get a job. Go get a job, bless God. And they sat there and watched me in disbelief, expecting me to come through the door. They were sitting at the front door like a puppy dog waiting on me. Got the router? Hours later. In my mind, I think they waited there the whole time, you know. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. That was for free. But I digress. You got to have a job. You got to have income. You got to do it so that you can... Raise money to create margin and do things in your life, all right? So earning's a big deal and a place to start with the numbers. The second thing you've got to do, or the second numbers, is spending. You've got to get your arms around how much you're spending. You need to understand it, and you need to understand that most people spend their lives looking in the rearview mirror about where their money has gone. They can see it at the end of the month, and they also know that they ain't got no more money to get where they need to go by the end of the month, right? But if you do a budget, you tell your money where it's going to go. This is proactive instead of reactive, most people don't do that. If you don't know how to do that, you need to get into the financial freedom growth grow group that we've got going on. Now, this one's full this, this, this season, but there'll be another one open up in, in February. You need to make a plan to be there so that you can understand. We'll, we'll spend 13 weeks talking to you about how to do that, how to make a plan and do that. We'll teach you. Come, come be a part of it, okay? The third number is savings. 
Proverbs 21.20 says this, the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. And the Bible says it's important to save. It says it's important to save money, but, it's, but you're not to, sa- to, to, to spend all that you have. You need to hold some back. You need to hold some back for a rainy day. You say, my God, pastor, be more positive. I am. I'm being positive. There's going to be a rainy day. You're going to need it. You're going to need some money set aside for when life happens because it will. In fact, the, the, the reason you need to do this and not spend all that you have is, is, is clear here. Look, do you, do, you know that, do you know that the average American spends 136% of their paycheck? Hello? That's more than they actually make. We, every week, we're spending 136% of our paycheck, so we have to learn how to save. And they, they tell you that if you're going to do this, you take baby steps towards it, right? You save up $1,000, then you go work on your debt, and once you've got your debt managed, you come back and you try to save up three months of your expenses, that, that three to six months. It, it's simple. It's baby steps, and it, it just takes some time to do it. It's important that you do it. And then the fourth number that anybody will give you is investing. And this is where you're not working for your money anymore. This is where your money's working for you. It's, it's important that you understand that, that that's a flip. It's a good place to be. And you, what you need to know about investing and what they'll tell you is that you need to do it now. That you don't need to wait until later to invest. You need to do it now because time is your friend. You think, well, when I have more money later, then I'll invest. But time is your friend now. It's not about the more now. It's about doing it now. Because there's, there's here, here's some numbers for you. Ready? The average car payment in America is $484. If instead of getting the new fancy car, you drove the same car you've been driving, and you took that $484 and invested it. From age 25 to 65, do you know how much that money becomes worth? $5 million. Time is your friend not the actual dollar amount. And so you need to do it now. That's what they'll tell you. And they're right. So do you want a new car or do you want $5 million? (laughs) The last number that they'll give you, the fifth number, is giving. And, and, And a lot of financial planners... Most people are not in the place where they say, listen, this is going to be a tax advantage to you to give away. So they don't talk to a lot of people about it. But, but we know that our life needs to reflect the life of charity. We, we just know that. Even non-Christians know that. In fact, the numbers tell us that most people, non-Christians, give away 3% of their income unintentionally. That's just what they do. They give 3% away. Christians, on the flip side of that, though, give away 3.8% of their income. It's not much more than the world's doing. But, but these are the numbers. And the numbers work, okay? The, the, the numbers work. We, we need to be generous. We need to let our life be reflective of, of Christ's free gift to us. But, but, but these, are, these are the numbers that they'll give you. They'll, they'll tell you this is how it's supposed to go, and they're helpful. You need to know where you're at so that you can know how to get where you're going. And if you know the numbers and work the numbers, then your, your life will change and, 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 and you'll, you'll experience some freedom in your life. It, 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 it'll change. It'll be great. But as Christians, we know that we're not just living a life of the natural. We're living a life in the supernatural. We serve a God who is supernatural, who has ways that are supernatural. His ways are not like our ways. His ways are above our ways, beyond our even understanding. That, that's that's the God we serve. In fact, mankind doesn't even seem to understand his way. In fact, in Haggai 1, it says, Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You need to think about what you're doing. Because a lot of you are doing the numbers, but, but you've planted much, but have harvested little. In other words, you're working the numbers, but you're just not seeing a whole lot come from it. You're not seeing all that you want from it. It says you eat but never have enough because something is missing. It says you drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Anybody know what I'm talking about, right? I feel like that on Sunday, you know, you get your check on Friday. I was like, where did it all go? And he says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. And look, he's repeating it. Give careful thought to your ways. When the Bible takes time to repeat something and uses up that space in that column to say it again, it's important. Why do we need to think about it? Could it be that there are spiritual principles 
that we need to learn and abide by that have nothing to do with mankind's wisdom? Absolutely. Absolutely there are. The Bible talks about money five times more than it talks about prayer. In fact, half of Jesus' parables were on the subject of money. Why? Because it's important. It's a huge topic from the Bible. We can't just think about it on a natural level. There's supernatural principles we need to learn. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says this. He says, where is the man? Or where's the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? In other words, people are going to look at at these supernatural principles and say, that shouldn't work, but that's God's economy. That's how it does work. God has ways that have nothing to do with ours, and so, so we need to learn them, and we need to embrace them so that we can live our lives beyond the numbers. So here's a few principles I want to share with you today. We'll look at the same five I gave you, and then I'm going to kind of compare and contrast them and show you the spiritual principle, all right? So the first one that, that I gave you was earning. And we all need to have a job. We need to get out there and, and, and make some money. But the world tells us that we need to hustle, that we need to earn money at any cost, that we need to do whatever we can while, and get it while the getting's good, make hay while there's sunshine, right? And that means working two jobs. That means moving away from family or even, even leaving a, a, a body of believers that you've connected with and have a community with, all to chase the almighty dollar to go after it and get it now. Do whatever it takes. But there's a higher principle that is at play, and it's this idea of calling versus compensation. You know, how much you make is never going to fulfill you. All the money that you can acquire and amass in your bank account is never going to bring you fulfillment in your life. You only find fulfillment when you find out what your life is really all about. And so you realize that when you're chasing after your calling, that you probably could have made more had you stayed and chased the money, had you, had you gone and sacrificed your family and sacrificed all your time. You probably could have made more money, but there is nothing like doing what God has called you to do. Now, how many of you guys know that I got into ministry for the money? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I was making a lot more money before I got into ministry, before God called me to be a pastor. But I'm going to tell you this, that the moment God spoke to my heart about being a pastor, about planting this church, everything else I was doing was like gravel in my mouth. Have you ever had gravel in your mouth? It's not pleasant. It's not something desirable. It's gritty. Where's Kyle at? Kyle, it's gritty. It doesn't feel good. She doesn't like that kind of texture. It doesn't make her puke. Look, it's not good. Nobody likes the taste of dirt and rocks. But that's what everything in life was like to me until I started living out my calling. And I want the same for you. I, I, I know that once you find out how you're wired, how God has created you, that you will find a life that is fulfilled. So chase that call that is on your life, not how much you can make. That's what Growth Track is all about. You understand that, right? That's what we do on Sunday mornings during second service. We have Growth Track, and it's these four steps to help you understand your spiritual journey and help you understand how God has made you and why he's made you that way and what you can do with those gifts and the way he's wired you to make a difference in other people's lives. We do it every Sunday. There's four steps, four easy steps. Today's the third Sunday, and so they're in there right now. They're taking a spiritual gifts inventory and a disc assessment to understand how God has made them so that they can take those gifts and make a difference in someone else's life. They're going to pursue their calling, and they're going to discover what their life is all about, and it's not about how much money you can make. And that's the secret in your life to having a full and fulfilled life is discovering why you're here. Because your design determines your destiny. That's good. Somebody should be writing that down and going, all right, how am I made? If you don't know how you're designed, you need to get in a growth track, all right? Get it and find out. Here's why. Because we don't just need money to live on. We need something to live for. It's not about how much money you can accumulate. It's how much you can live for in this life. Let me tell you about two ladies, and I'm just going to embarrass the snot out of them right here. Brenda and Wendy. We call them Brendy. These two ladies right here serve at guest services. They went in through Growth Track, and almost every Sunday when I talk about Growth Track, they're like, yep, Growth Track, that's the thing you got to do. 
Why? Because you find out how you're made, right? You find out how God's gifted you. You find out where you belong in the body of Christ. And when you fit that mold, it's not like work. It's like, I'm doing this because this is how God made me. This feels right. And so last week after service, my brother came up to me. He's sitting over right here. He said to me, Aaron, he said, I got to tell you. He said, those two girls you got at the front desk, he said, it's brilliant. And I said, well, thank you. I did that myself, you know. (laughs) He said, it's brilliant. He said, those two ladies, he said, they don't even know the kind of week that somebody's had. But when they walk through the door and they meet these two ladies, they're smiling. They say hello to them. They greet them and treat them like a guest in their home. He said, it just makes everything that you've just been experiencing, he said, it just melts away. He said, because you're, you're greeted by these big smiles. I said, well, they were just made to do that. That's why they do it. That's how God's made them. That's how God's wired them. They're, they're, they do that. And then I found out, and then I heard another story about them. I don't mean to brag on you so much, but I heard a story on Tuesday that that same Sunday that my brother told me how great it was to have them there. They saw, they saw Miss Sylvia. Is it okay if I tell this, Miss Sylvia? Miss Sylvia wasn't feeling too good after first service. And she's on her way out to her car, and she's not feeling well. And these two ladies didn't have to ask for permission. They didn't look for someone to tell them to do it. They just moved in it because it was their gifting and their calling. They said, Miss Sylvia, we're going to drive you home so that you get home safe. And then one of them got in another car and followed them home and then brought the other one back so that they could be back here second service to serve all of you and love you. Now, come on, somebody. That's worth celebrating. And why are they doing that? Because that's how they're wired. Yeah, it does. It feels fulfilled, right? And I want you all to know that. I'm not saying this because I need positions filled. I need you fulfilled. I need you to know how God has made you. I need you to operate in your calling and your giftings. You'll understand what life is all about. It's the difference. Don't chase after money. Chase after your calling. The happiest people in the world I know are those that are serving other people using their gifts and their talents to do so. Paul said it this way. He said, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if, I only may, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. He said, my, my life is forfeit if I don't get to do what God's called me to do. If I don't get to do, the, do what he's made me to do. So pursue your calling over compensation. Don't trade fulfillment and your calling for something as common as money. Second thing that the, that the financial advisors will tell you is the spending. And there's a, there's a spiritual principle here. Yes, get a budget. Yes, yes, get your arms around your spending and create margin in your life. All that's good. But the higher principle here is contentment versus consumerism. We want it all right now, right? Many of us understand stepping out into life when we leave our parents home, we want to step out into life at the same exact station that our parents are at. We want to live in the same neighborhood. We want to drive the same cars. We want to have the same bank accounts. And we want it all, and we want it now. Right? We don't care how we want it now. It's Ruka, salt from Willy Wonka. That's the only musical portion of today's message that I have for you. But, but we want it all now. We want it. it doesn't matter that it took our parents 35 years to get there. We, we want it now. And so we feel like we, we should have it now. We're in a fast food generation, right, where if we have to wait five minutes for food we just ordered, we're having a hissy fit. We're going to throw our money and be rude to the person at the counter because we didn't get it fast enough. We want everything microwave, 30 seconds and done. Like, I want it now. Even Amazon has got it down. It understands our generation. They have something called Prime Now. You can order something online, and it will be at your door in an hour to two hours. Bless the Lord. (laughs) So when you need Oreos that bad but can't leave the house, they will bring them to you. For a small fee. <laughs> we want it all now. And because we can't really afford it all now, we'll go and get into credit. We'll buy stuff before we're actually even able to or should be allowed to buy something. That's what the world gives us. They give us credit. We, we get it. Why do we do that? Well, because we're not content. We're not content with what we have, and so it's getting us in trouble. Why do we allow ourselves to get in trouble? Because we've lost the value of contentment. People say that's old school. That's archaic. This whole idea of contentment. But it's where real peace is to be found. 
Jesus said, don't always be wishing for what you don't have. For real life, listen to me now, real life and real living are not related to how rich we are. Happiest people are the people that have the least. Do you know why? Because there's no worries. They don't have to insure anything because they ain't got nothing. They don't have to worry about their car getting broken into to steal their stuff. They don't have a car and they don't got stuff. They're not worried. They don't stress. They don't own things that own them, that preoccupy their thoughts. They, they don't stress about it. Go on a mission trip if you don't believe me. Go to Honduras with us next year. Make your plans now. Meet some people that have absolutely nothing, yet they're so happy. And when you give them something, they give it away to everybody else. They're just happy. They're content. It's this biblical principle. They, they've got this value of contentment. Paul said this. He said, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. How many of you all like having plenty, right? I like having plenty. He said, I've learned the secret of being content. He'd gone through enough situations. He'd been on the ups and downs, the highs and lows. He'd been all over the place. And he understood from that the secret of contentment. He said, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, he had contentment. Why? Because he learned one thing, that there was one secret to being content, and that was to look around your life and realize you're already blessed. You're blessed. Even the people I meet in Honduras, they look around their life, they're blessed. They don't have as much as I do. They're blessed. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying the difference. They're blessed. They realize that if God does nothing else for them ever again, he's already done enough. They're blessed. They're, they're, they're blessed. So you may not have everything, but you're better off than most people. So let me say it to you this way. Contentment is not the fulfillment of what you want, but the realization of what you already have. That's good stuff. I'm preaching today. Some of y'all just making you a skosh uncomfortable, and that's all right. Simple way for you to find contentment is look around your world. When I get up in the morning and I'm spending time with God in prayer, I don't have to look far to tell him what I'm thankful for. I just look at my bed. I can just start right there. Like, hey, God, thank you I ain't sleeping on a rubber mat like they do in, in, in El Salvador because I've slept on those things. That is not comfortable. I want to thank you, Lord, for one word, pillow top. Thank you for my mattress. Thank you for my master bedroom and my master bath that I don't have to share with my children, bless God. I'm not bragging. I'm saying I'm just looking around my world. Couldn't you just look around your world for a moment and see what you're thankful for? Look around your room. Look around this room. See how blessed you are. You don't need another thing from God. You're blessed. And as you begin walking around your, your life in your mind or physically doing it, you begin to realize how blessed you are. You begin to develop an attitude of gratitude. And all of a sudden, those pains of not having what it is you want begin to dissipate and disappear. You find contentment begins to overwhelm you because I have enough. I have more than enough. God has blessed me. And so let me do this. Can I pastor you for just a second? Because I can see something on the horizon. Is that we're getting ready to enter into one of the craziest holiday seasons of the year. Where businesses have structured their worlds to bait you into spending all your money. They've structured their sales and their advertisements. They've even, they, they, they've, they've even structured like, like their, the layout of their facility. To make you buy things. Anybody ever been to Ikea? Good Lord, that's a maze. I don't even know how to get out of Ikea. You have to walk the whole thing. They, seriously, you get in there and it is just a big maze. There is no getting out until you get to the end and you have seen it all. These places want you to spend more than you're prepared to spend. They want to be the ones to dictate how much you're going to spend. And let me tell you something. If you walk into Christmas this year trying to top last year's, then you'll spend more than you're ready to spend. 
I want to challenge you to go into Christmas knowing exactly how much you're going to spend and not a penny more. doesn't matter how good the sales are. See, my wife and I do that at the beginning of the year. We've decided how much we're going to spend, and we save all year long for it. And when that money's gone at Christmas, it's gone. Ain't nobody crying about that. Say, well, there'll be next year. Guess we didn't really need that. We draw the boundaries instead of letting the world draw the boundaries for us. Because if you let the world draw the boundaries for you, they'll take everything you've gotten more. They'll take it all. They don't care that you get snagged in a trap. They don't care that you get bound and can't do anything except go to work. They don't care. So be wise. Develop an attitude of gratitude. Be content. Realize your blessing. Let contentment overwhelm you. Third principle is saving, of course. It's a good biblical principle because there's going to be a rainy day. There's only one danger to saving money, and is that, that because it's all good, it's good to do, but there's the, the one danger, the one thing you need to be aware of is don't allow money or the amount of money that you save to become your security. Don't, don't think you can rely on it being there. One of, the, one of the, the, the biggest lies is this word financial security. It doesn't exist. It doesn't matter all the ways that you hem yourself in from all the eventual possibilities. Financial security doesn't exist. So we, we, have, to, we, we have to lean on God and not ourselves. We need to be God-dependent versus independent. You can save, but don't ever think you're financially secure. Be dependent on God for your security alone. Here's a verse that says it beautifully. Proverbs 18 says, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it, imagine it, a wall too high to scale. In other words, they think all the money that they got puts up walls around them and keeps them safe from everything that's going to happen, and it just doesn't. It's, it, it's a figment of their imagination. It's just not true. Financial security does not exist. Money comes and money goes. That's just the truth. You can't find your security and dependence in it. We need God on our side and live a life of trust with him. That's why people that are, that are poor are, are the most generous. Because they already know the money, the money, the little bit that they've got ain't going to save them. So they can just be generous with it. You can give anybody you know, on these mission trips, you can give them anything you want to. You, you'll get down there and you'll meet them. And, and you want to just bless them. You want to give them every dollar in your pocket. It won't make a difference. You know what they're going to do? They're not going to use it to turn their lives around. They're going to take it and go find 10 people that are in the same situation as them. And they're going to split it up amongst themselves and be a blessing to people. Isn't that something? The people with the, the lowest amount of money are the most generous people. The, high, the highest amount of of giving is among them. Why? Because they trust in God. So let's make sure that we save, but let's keep our hearts in check. Let's look to God for our peace and our security and place our hope in him alone. There's a prayer that I often pray. I'd love to share it with you. It's from, it's from Proverbs 30. It says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Does anybody recognize this phrase? It's from the prayer Jesus taught his disciples. Give us this day our daily bread. He said, the reason for that is because otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? In other words, I'll get so much stuff that I'll say, I don't need God. Who is he? I did all this. This is me. He said, or he said, I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of God. So let me say it to you this way. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. That needs to become our mantra. I'm not going to trust in this. I'm going to trust in God who richly provides. Would you be God-dependent, not independent? And then when it comes to investing, this is the fourth thing. Investing's fun. You should do it. I have a lot of fun investing. I invested in penny stocks just for a goof. It's good times. Watch the money of the stock market go up and down and checking, checking all that stuff. Buy now, sell now. That's fun. I like it. You should totally do that. But, you, but there's one thing you need to understand when it comes to how you invest your money. And it's the concept of ownership versus stewardship. See, if you invest your money thinking that all of it belongs to you and that all of it is for you, then you'll invest in a certain way. But stewardship requires you to think about that which you're managing with the priorities of the person to whom it belongs. And we're all stewards. See, yeah, but God gave it to me. No, God gave it to you to manage. God gave it to you to steward. God gave you children to steward. They're his kids. God gave you your home to steward. God gave you relationships to steward. He gave you gifts and talents and treasure to steward. To manage it with his priorities in mind. 
Because God owns everything. I'm just his manager. And so we have to figure out to take all, how to take all that we have. That means our time, our treasure, our talents, our relationships, our homes, the mealtimes we have, all of it. We have to take all of it and learn how to leverage it for God's kingdom with his priorities and minds. I mean, what would the world look like if we really, truly accomplished that? If we really, as a church, did that? How would things look? How, many, how much difference could you make in, people li- in people's lives? So as stewards, we should leverage all that we have for eternal purposes. And why? Because Jesus says this, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, Jesus is letting you know something. Hey, listen, cuz, can't take it with you. But... If you live your life in such a way, if you manage all of your resources in such a way that you leverage them for eternal purposes, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You can impact and love people in such a way that you make a difference in their lives and they turn their hearts and lives towards God. That's an eternal difference you can make in somebody's life today by managing your stuff well. There's a simple parable that Jesus told. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. In other words, once you figure out what really matters, God's priorities, and you you work to make every part of your life move towards what matters most. The last area, of of course, of the numbers is giving. And like I said, you know, most financial advisors are not going to tell you to do this. But But it's important that you do it. But there's a greater and greater principle to share with you, and it's generosity versus misery. See, if you don't give a penny and you hold all of it and believe everything that you get is for yourself, this makes you a miser, and misers are in misery. The happiest people in this life are those that are generous with what they have. Jesus said this about generosity. He said, hey, it's fun. It's fun to give. In fact, the word, he said it's blessed. It's more blessed. That word blessed is happy. It's more blessed. It's more happy. It's fun to give than it is to receive. So what do we do? Well, we need to learn to show the love of God in practical ways. There's many of you who take those invite cards that are out there at the at guest services. You take them with you, and you keep them in your purse. And when you go and eat someplace, you leave a nice tip, and you put one of those there just to let them know God loves them. You go through the, through the line at a, at a fast food place and you pay for somebody behind you and say, give this card to that person behind me and you just drive off without saying a word. These small acts of kindness which we encourage and love and love to hear the stories about. You'll never know what a small act of generosity can make in someone's life. In fact, this week I, I, got a, I, I had an opportunity. I was, I was having coffee with Aaron over here and, and, and I, I looked through the, the drive through window at the coffee place and I recognized the young woman that was going through the drive-thru, and I said, hey, I said, has she paid for her coffee yet? I said, and they said, no, I said, put it on mine, I'll pay for it. And, and the young girl didn't hear that, so they took her coffee to her, and she tried to pay her money, and, 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 and they said, no, she said, uh, y- you can't pay today, this guy's got it. And before I could duck behind the, the, the counter, she saw me, and, and she said, thanks, Aaron, and she drove off. Now, she's a friend of my wife's, and my wife got a text message a little later, and she said, you don't understand the kind of week that I've had. It's been a rough week. She said, and then your husband bought me a cup of coffee today, and it just made my day. It's changed her attitude. Small act of kindness. Now, I'm not telling you that so you, can, so you pat me on the back. I'm telling you that these are the kind of stories we all ought to be able to share and all ought to have. Moments of generosity. You don't know the value of a simple act of generosity. You never know what people are going through and what it means when you show them that kind of love. When I was in Honduras this past July, we, my wife and I, we have three kids and, uh, that we sponsor there, and we went and gave them all book bags that were filled with toys. And this one young man, we went to his home, and you know, he lives there with probably eight other people, and pro- I, we didn't get to see the whole space, but it wasn't very big. It's probably no bigger than the stage space up here, this whole house. And we sat there with Stephen, and we gave him a bag of these toys, and we watched him open them, and some of them I had to explain to him, because I gave him a football, but football means something different there. You know, it's a soccer ball. 
It's, it's American football, you know, it whistles when you throw it. And, and when Stephen had opened all of his joys with gift, or all, all of his, uh, his uh, gifts with joy, he, he ran into the back room and he came back out. And he said something to the interpreter and, and she turned and said, he has a gift for you. <laughs> and there's pictures of it. I posted, you can see me. I threw my hands up like this and I instantly burst into tears because this young man that we support monthly wanted to bless us and give us a gift. Changes you. Generosity changes you. It impacts you in ways and that you cannot even begin to understand. And so we need to realize that the value of your life isn't determined by how much you achieve or accumulate by how much of your life you give away. It's the most important thing. In the Bible, there are a lot of letters written in the New Testament. And oftentimes when you see them and they're, they're written to a person instead of like the church at Galatia, Galatians or Ephesians, Philippians, when they're written to someone's name like Timothy, these are what we call pastoral letters. Paul was instructing the pastors at the local churches on how to lead the people. And so that letter's written to me on how I'm to lead you. And Paul told Timothy this. He said, command them to do good, or in this case, because I'm among so many generous people, just remind you. Just remind you to do good. To be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. So today, when you leave, be generous with your time. Be generous with your finances. When you go to lunch today, leave a big tip. Even if the waitress didn't earn it. Even if she gave you hor he or she gave you horrible service. May not be her fault. She may be going through something. She may be having the worst moment of her life. And you an act of generosity to let them know God loves them even when they didn't earn it. Come on, somebody, there's gospel in there. Whew. You want to say something to somebody? Give it to them when they didn't earn it, when they couldn't earn it, when they lost it. Be a blessing to them. Live your life, a life of generosity. And you say, Aaron, I know what will happen. I know what you're going to say. If I do this, it'll just make the world a better place. You're right, it will. But that's not all that happens. Let me help you. Because see, your Bible says this, continues, it says, in this way, when you're generous and willing to share, in this way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of, watch this, the life that is truly life. Your life is not about what you can accumulate. It's not about how much stuff you can get. It's how much of your life you can give away. That's the most important thing. You can live your life according to the numbers, and that's fine. But if you want to live your life beyond the numbers, you'll live your life in a place that few ever realize. A place that is what the Bible calls truly life. And what you need to know is that as you live out this life, the world's going to look at you the way you live your life when you're living according to God's ways, and they're going to say, that doesn't work. That doesn't make sense. And on paper, they're right, it doesn't. But in God's economy, it does. And you need to just know this. God's way works. God's way works. Even if you don't understand it on the front side, just get on board. You'll understand it later and in time. I believe that. God's way works. Let's pray. Father, I pray in this moment that you would just reveal to us what you're trying to say to us individually. Lord, I know that we want to get the numbers right, but more than that, we want to live beyond our numbers, Lord. We want to live our lives your way. We want to honor you with all of our lives, Lord. So we want our hearts, we want our life, we want our hope, we want our trust to be in you. Lord, help us today to be in tune with our calling what you've given us to do. Help us, Lord, to be more content, to be God-dependent and not independent. Help us, God, today to leverage all that we have for your purposes and for your kingdom. 
to make a difference in eternity, Lord, knowing that that's the only investment that matters. And Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would develop in us as a church a spirit of generosity so that we can give in ways that no other church is able to give. And as we do so, we can make a difference in a way that no other church is able to make in this community, in this city, this state, in this world. God, do only what you can do in our lives. Help us. Help us to lead people to you. In Jesus' name. As we continue to pray today, there are people in this room that you want to live your life beyond the numbers. Maybe you're, you're living according to the numbers and that's fine, but you want to live beyond the numbers. And all of that starts with a relationship with God and you don't have one of those. Right now is your moment. I'm going to pray a prayer and if you want to be included in on that prayer to say yes, God, I, I want to have a relationship with you and I want to understand what it means to live my life your way. I want to live beyond the numbers. If you want to be included in that prayer to say yes to Jesus, admitting that you may not understand it all yet, but you're, you're willing to live your life in a way that you'll learn. If, if that's you, would you just say, Aaron, that's me. That, would you just lift your hand up? Nobody's looking around. Nobody's going to make fun of you. Or, and we want to celebrate with you in a moment. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Put your hands down. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? I'm going to pray. Church, let's pray together. Let's pray together with everybody out loud. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I receive your life now. And I give you mine. Thank you, Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. And show me how to live for you. And I'll spend every day doing that. Amen. The Bible says that all of heaven celebrates when one person repents and turns towards God. Church, come on. Can we celebrate with somebody who said yes to Jesus today? Come on. That's a good day. That's why we're here. Reach people that are far from God. Amen. And we're going to continue in our worship with our giving. I'm going to call our service host forward at this time. And as they come forward, uh, I just want to share this with you. So I just kind of want to look forward, especially since we're talking about Christmas. Last year uh, at Christmas time, how many of you guys were here for our Christmas EVV service, right? It was packed in here. There's people sitting on the floors. And the air conditioner could not work hard enough to keep us cool, even though it was a cool night. It was great. But here's what I know, just some numbers. Our church has doubled in size since January. And what that means is, is we're not all going to fit in here for a Christmas Eve service. So our Christmas Eve service will be on December 22nd. That's a Friday night. And because of your generosity and your faithful giving this week, I walked into Reynoldsburg City Schools office and I rented us a 670-seat auditorium. And we're going to fill that place up and be a blessing in this city, see people say yes to Jesus and have an incredible time worshiping Jesus in that auditorium. So thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Let's pray real quick. Lord, thank you so much for what you're doing among us. But God, more than that, what I see you're positioning us for, you're positioning us to make such a difference in this community by reaching more and more people that are far from you. God, help us do that with every dollar that is given, whether here or it's given online or given through the text app or, you know, all the ways that we do. Lord, bless every dollar that comes in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.